Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, WTIC-FM and WTIC.com. Aaron Kupek with you this Sunday morning and we are pleased to be joined by Connecticut Colleges and Universities President Mark Ojakian. Good morning to you, sir. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be back. Well, thanks for joining us again. The system, which has uh, 17 colleges and universities around the state, has undertaken a plan to consolidate the state's 12 community colleges. It's called Students First, and why don't you start by bringing us up to date on where that stands? Well, thank you very much uh, for, for asking that question. Students First has been an initiative that's been underway um, for over a year, and recently our board approved um, the final report that has to go into our accreditors. That report went into our accreditors um, in March, and we're awaiting um, a decision at the end of April, whether or not we can move forward with that initiative or not. It's been a very long year. Uh, Many town halls, many student forums, many uh, iterations of of Students First. Um, But the initiative is meant to really highlight student services. And in an era of declining finances, we have choices to make. We can continue to provide the same delivery model to our students and have fewer places for students to attend college, or we can streamline the administration and continue to have the same locations for students to go to school and complete their education. So this would eliminate a lot of administrative positions while adding additional student-facing jobs. Absolutely correct. We would, we would have one accredited institution with 12 campuses. We'd have one president. Uh, we're dividing up the, um, the new college into three regions, which better align with our, our workforce boards here in Connecticut. Uh, each campus will have a vice president that will be in charge of the day-to-day operations and the interaction with the community, but you'll see less administrators, less administration, and more services focused on student success. And it's a common misconception that this has anything to do with UConn. The CSEU system is totally separate from the University of Connecticut, so that, that's something we, we try to get out there when we're explaining That's this. correct. That's correct. We, we are um, in, uh, responsible for all of the public institutions of higher education except for the University of Connecticut. Many of those institutions have their own identity. When you think of certain community colleges, you think of advanced manufacturing and and job training, maybe nursing training. How do you keep those individual identities with a consolidation plan such as this? The the plan is to do exactly what you're what you're talking about. Keep the local community connections. Allow the institutions to be flexible in developing new curriculum to meet the workforce needs of their local community or their geographic region. 
and to really take a look at scaling programs that are successful at one institution and maybe offering it at other institutions across the state. The proposal will allow a student to register once. All of the credits then will be transferable between institutions. They can use their financial aid dollars at any of our 12 institutions. So at a time when we're not able to offer every program and every course to every student, it makes sense to allow students to be able to go from campus to campus, either um, physically or virtually. We need to take more advantage of our distance learning opportunities in those areas which make sense. Has this been done before? Are you looking at any other higher ed systems around the country as a model? We're looking at other other systems as a model that began as one college with many campuses. Um, I believe that this will be the first in the nation where we've taken 12 institutions that were separately accredited and merged them into one accredited institution. But we've taken lessons from places, for example, like the Lone Star uh, Community College System of Texas. Um, Valencia College in, 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 in Florida, Ivy Tech. We've taken a look at all of these institutions that have one central administration and many locations. We've learned from some of them, um, but I'm hopeful that we can make a Connecticut model that then other states will look to as they seek to make changes. This is not unique to Connecticut. Many higher education systems are looking at ways to consolidate to better integrate administrative functions so that they don't have to continue to decrease a student-facing services, which in the end just hurt the student's ability to complete their education in a timely fashion. Right now you're awaiting that word on accreditation from the New England Association of Schools and Colleges. That's correct. That's correct. We submitted uh, you know, the proposal after the board uh, endorsed the uh, proposal. Um, we have committees now working across campuses, assuming we'll get the go-ahead to move forward in some fashion um, on shared governance, curriculum development, student services. How is this going to look once it's fully implemented? The proposal targeted July 1st of 2019 to have the new senior administration in place and then a couple of years down the road to be able to offer degrees under the Community College of Connecticut. With such a large consolidation, what has the feedback been from the Association of Schools and Colleges and from people on the campuses? Well, the Association of, of, of Schools and Colleges, as you know, waits until they get a final proposal to you know react. Uh, we have been in constant communication with their executive leadership um, to float proposals by them, to share drafts, um, with them. Uh, so we would understand if we were moving in the right direction, given that this is a one-of-a-kind endeavor, um, both regionally and nationally. And so I think this is a big undertaking. And so I wouldn't be surprised if they you know, put some conditions on, on how we move forward um, to be somewhat cautious. That's to be, I think, expected. I think the reaction on campuses has been mixed. To be quite honest, there has been very vocal criticism of this proposal. I think there's been people who have been in, who were invested in the community college system over a long period of time who see the change as hurting community college education, uh, are not involved anymore and don't really understand the fiscal 
condition of the state or the system. They don't understand that we don't have choices like we used to have in the past. This is not about the past. Um, we should celebrate the successes of the past, but now it's time to move forward into the future. I have gone to town halls on every campus. I've held virtual town halls. I've met with every student group on campus. Uh, we have a student advisory committee of the board that is fully supportive of these changes. So we're involving campuses in the next steps of this. But listen, I understand change is hard. Um, you know, change is hard um, for me at times. Um, and so I recognize that this is difficult for people, that this is a culture shift. But I view this as an opportunity to make a better performing system for our students. How much money does this plan seek to save? This plan, when it's fully implemented, will, uh, on the low end, save uh, $23 million a year. I suppose one of the questions you, you get is, how can you extract that much from the system and not affect academic quality? Well, for a couple of reasons. First of all, we're not impacting faculty at all. This, the focus continues to be on teaching and learning. So faculty is unaffected by these changes. Uh, the, the, you know, the second thing I will say is you don't need to, ha to replicate the same levels of administration in the state the size of Connecticut in 12 different places. And so this seeks to make that a much more streamlined administration of institutions and the system as a whole. The savings targets, and there's a lot of backup on our website, people who have said that this is you know, fuzzy math. Um, there's there's backup information that shows exactly where this is going to come from. The second thing I will say is because we're able to streamline administration, we're going to make a mo much more conscious effort to strategically do enrollment management. So under this proposal, we not only will see savings from cost reduction, but my hope is we're going to see revenue generation because we'll be able to scale best practices in a much more strategic, systemic way. It might be useful to talk about the profile of a community college student in Connecticut when you're talking about this plan, because really the profile is there. <laughs> it runs the gamut. It's soup to nuts. Um, we have about 55,000 credit-earning students at the community colleges and about 30,000 non-credit. So if you go to an institution and get a certificate in advanced manufacturing, um, you're going to one of our institutions. We, you know, the demographic is um, scaled highly towards women, um, highly towards underrepresented groups. Um, we have many single mothers. We have many returning uh, students who are, you know, in their 40s, 50s, and 60s. Um, we, we have consciously made an effort to ensure that students will continue to be able to go to the location they currently go to because we have a very non-traditional student. Our students don't have transportation. They can't get in their car and go from school to work. They rely on the bus. They rely on the train. They have to go to a job. They have to drop off their child at daycare. So they have a life that gets in the way sometimes of their completing their education. And as I've traveled around, it struck me that we were making students 
adapt to our model as opposed to creating a model that adapted to the needs of our students. I mean, we shouldn't have community college students where it takes five or six years for them to complete. That's just unconscionable to me. Now, I understand people have different needs and they drop in and out of school, but the fact that we make it more difficult um, for our students to complete in a timely way, and remember, if you, the longer you go, the more, the more it costs you to go. And even though I think our tuition is, is very reasonable, every time we raise it, even $10 a month, it has an impact on many of our students. There have been uh, a lot of rumors about Students First, what it is, what it isn't. We give you this opportunity right now, if you want, to dispel any of those rumors that have been out there. Sure. Um, you know, the, the rumor is that this is the first of all, this is the first step in consolidating the universities as well, right? That this is the, the nose under the camel's or the camel's nose under the tent, however that the phrase works. Um, not true. Um, there's, there's been rumors that I've, I've, because of my political background and my affiliation with the governor, that I created this new um, model so that I could provide him with, a, with, a, with his next job to be the president of the community college um, um, of Connecticut. Um, not true. Um, I've worked for him. I don't know if he could work for me. <laughs> um, you know, he, he remains a very close friend of mine, but, but you know, I am not, I'm not leading his, uh, you know, his, his uh, career search um, at the moment. Um, you know, there's, there's also, you know, just a, a lot of rumors going on that we are, we are doing this because we – specifically don't like person A or person B. This isn't about people. This isn't about specific people in the system. This is about creating a system that resonates with students, where students feel included, feel st students feel empowered, and students feel that they can complete their education and that the barriers that artificially are put in their way disappear. You're listening to Face Connecticut. We are talking to Marco Jakian. He is the president of the Connecticut Colleges and University System, also former chief of staff to Governor Malloy. Changing gears, talking about some other topics, training has been launched on all of your campuses to help combat sexual assault and dating violence. Is this fueled by the Me Too movement, or has this been in the works uh, longer than that? This has actually been in, in the works longer um, than that. A couple of years ago, uh, we received a, a grant from the federal government called the SAFE Grant, um, which, uh, which is, is housed, I think, at Nuntuck Community College, but is used for all of our institutions. And th there was a recognition early on um, in my tenure that we needed to do more to train people, um, to educate people on sexual assault, dating violence, so that we could make our students feel safe on their campuses. Um, I am struck every time I go on a campus, um, one of the issues foremost in students' mind is safety, whether it's safety from an active shooter, whether it's safety from, from sexual assault or you know, sexual inappropriateness, um, whether it's dating violence, um, they're concerned. And so I felt that we needed to, to do more, to educate people, to train people on, you know, what, what to do, 
when you see something, say something, sort of. It's a, it's a bystander approach. Just don't stand by and watch things happen. You have a responsibility um, to your community, to your college or university community. So we've conducted this training. Um, it's been very successful. We're going to continue on all of the campuses, but I'm a firm believer and a strong advocate that what we need to do is make sure that we do not tolerate any of this behavior at any of our campuses at any time. Also on the topic of campus safety, I know Manchester Community College recently went from security to a police force. I'm thinking that probably campus security is always front of mind these days. How has handling that been evolving over the the years, would you say? I think over the last uh, two and a half to three years, we've seen um, a bigger push by some of our institutions to have security on their campuses with the ability to carry weapons. And so we um, adopted a board policy where colleges could apply um, to, uh, to have their security force uh, carry weapons. These individuals had to be post-certified, which is the same training that local and state police officers have to go through. And many of our community college campuses have retired state or local police um, officers as their security force. Uh, so we currently have, and this was totally voluntary, we currently have, I believe, four institutions that met all of the requirements, um, and now they have the ability to carry weapons on their campus. Some have chosen not to do that um, and have relied on their local police department or, in the case of a couple institutions, on their state police barracks. But it's very important that students feel safe, not only in terms of people you know, carrying weapons, but how's the lighting on your campus? How's the parking lot? You know, we have active shooter training on our campuses all the time because you you never know when an incident will occur. You can never 100% prevent an incident. But you mentioned that I was the governor's chief of staff. Uh, I was the governor's chief of staff during Sandy Hook. I know what that feels like to have the public trust of a school broken um, by somebody coming in and shooting up people. And, and in this case, it was, it was little children. Um, so it's very important to me that our students feel safe, and I will continue to do everything I can, whether it's with law enforcement on campuses or making the campus more safe um, by some of the physical attributes um, as I can. We've done a whole audit, and we're going to continue to implement it through hopefully some bonding dollars. You think about state office buildings, and those are secure facilities, but when you're talking about campuses, these are open to the public. They, you don't have to check in at a security desk when you go to Central. No. And that, that, that poses, I'm guessing, um, challenges for ensuring security. I mean, it absolutely does. I mean, I can remember a time where you didn't have to pass through a metal detector to, to enter the state capitol. And it's only been the last couple of years that we've had those kinds of safety precautions. So it is a concern. You don't want to make your higher learning environment look like a militarized zone, right? But you also need to understand that, that students need to feel safe and you need to do everything you can to be able to respond. You know, all of our universities have their own police forces, um, which, are, which are trained, which are, operate just like local police departments and work in conjunction with the local police departments. Um, but it's a balance. It's a balance between keeping people safe and keeping a very free academic learning environment. Back at the state capitol this year, 
is a proposal to allow undocumented students to access institutional financial aid. This is something you have pushed for for a number of years now. Why do you feel it's so important? I feel it's important, and I understand that it's not popular in some quarters, but I feel it's important because it's a question of fairness, right? Our DACA students currently, by state law, pay in-state tuition to go to our public higher education institutions. They also pay as part of that into an institutional financial aid fund. And then that money is distributed to folks based on need. They currently are not able to access that money. So they pay into a fund that they then cannot access. Now, many of our DACA students are the highest performing students in our system. Double majors, 3.7s, 3.8s, they view the opportunity to have higher education as 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 a as a gift as something that that they are very fortunate to have here in the state of Connecticut so i believe that what we need to do is we need to continue to support the, these young people who came here to Connecticut and to the united states you know through no fault of their own they've been in our community since they've been infants or very young children they've gone to our high schools and now they're attending our colleges. And so we need to be fair and we need to provide them with the same kind of financial support that we provide to other in-state residents. There's the idea of incrementalism at the Capitol. Every year, a proposal that comes back year after year gets a little closer to getting over the finish line. Do you think this is the year for that? You know, um, I thought last year was the year for this, to be honest with you. Um, I thought we had made so much progress. We had support on both sides of the aisle. And as a matter of fact, this is not a partisan issue. Um, we have we have Democrats that oppose this and Republicans that support it, when you might think it might be different. Um, so it's not a partisan issue. Um, I'm hopeful um, that we'll be able to make some inroads, you know, this year, I think, some of the conversation is caught up in the national conversation on what's going to happen to DACA, what's going to happen to these students. As you know, they're being, um, I think, unfairly um, uh, placed in limbo. Um, now the, now the uh, issues in the courts, um, Congress is, doesn't seem to be any closer to working with the president to get a deal on DACA without a, without a wall. So, I mean, who knows what's going to happen on the national level. But I think here in Connecticut – We've always been at the forefront um, of providing opportunities to all people. Um, you know, I think it's the governor said in one of his State of the State speeches, whether you came here 300 years ago or 300 days ago, or you're, you're welcome here. When it comes to DACA students, how do you protect them on campus when you know there's the potential that they could be deported and they're trying to learn? Well, I mean, I think we've, we've, we've been very careful not to violate any laws. Um, we, you know, have not declared our institutions sanctuary uh, colleges or universities because that really legally has no meaning um, for a, an institution of higher education. Um, we we will uh, we will provide information when requested uh, by in, by authorized agents with a warrant. Um, but we have a whole procedure in place where they have to go to the president. We're not, you know, we're not violating any sort of a privacy um, acts or concerns by giving out information. Um, we're not going to proactively um, seek to disclose which students on our campuses are undocumented. Um, they're there learning. 
and they already have enough anxiety um, in the back of their minds to uh, uh, to keep them um, busy, I think. So um, I'm going to support them 100% of the way. I'm going to continue to advocate for them. I'm going to continue to advocate for them to be treated fairly um, on our campuses, as well as fairly in terms of the institutional financial aid. He is Marco Jakian, president of the Connecticut Colleges and University System. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Enjoy the balance of your weekend. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.